Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. G'day and welcome to a partly politicised broadcast of Thrush and Treasure, the Torture Chamber musical comedy podcast which serves up a weekly democracy sausage that tastes like bitter defeat in bread, probably because we sound like chicken. And speaking of inbred, I'm Aaron, and I'm joined, as usual, by the leader of the opposition, who needs friends when you've got your own enemy, because it's Evan the Metal Man. How you doing? <laughs> Writhing in pain from your puns. Well, you could have been my arch nemesis, but that was too hard to say, or my antagonist. Actually, that's a bit easier. To, I should have said that one. But anyways. antagonist. I like that one. That's better. antagonist. Yeah. yeah. Go with that. Okay. Well, quickly, um, earlier I was having a Vegemite roll and I bit my tongue and straight away a dollop of Vegemite landed on the bond and I screamed. <laughs> he, he screamed. And I'm like, ow, what a loser. That's what I screamed like my neighbours would have just heard me go, what a loser. So I'm a little bit delirious from the tongue bite, I think, because that was painful. For international listeners, Vegemite is pretty much salt and yeast. <laughs> in a spread yeah that's what it was a big dollop of it because we're aussies we're greedy about our vegemite funnily enough literally just made a vegemite sandwich like five minutes oh. ago <laughs> well i got three bites into my roll i am so hungry so if it disappears you know it was me but anyways guess what what we have another british diva up in the comedy chamber today and luckily because i was getting bored of heckling evan so I invited an unsuspecting friend to the slaughter because this cuddly comedian is one of the hardest working comedians in the UK with his acclaimed Edinburgh shows, various tours, multiple stints on TV, writing for publications such as Metro and Empire magazine, plus a partridge in a pear tree. Once you meet this rebel rabble rouser, you'll agree he is indeed right for our torturing. Muhaha. Especially after riding on the hairy back, ill of the late and legendary Robin Williams. Oh, he followed that up by having his own hairy back, ew, shaved by the iconic Gillian Anderson. What? Butter, butter and blade bluntly shaved the way for this dashing dude to dwell in his cell on CBB's The Slammer, where a studio stacked with screaming students set him free so they'd not be subjected to his rubbish art anymore. His words, not mine. I would not have used art. <laughs> and smartly enough, this energetic entertainer elevated this experience into the entrepreneurial arena by co-founding the Kids Comedy Club, where he's turned his stand-up act into squat-down comedy for the kiddies. So I'm not kidding when I throw a huge Aussie g'day and an are we there yet to the Big Brothers Big Mouth panellists that made me go... Oh, okay. Who's he? <laughs> Who's gone on to write cameo guest or star in various British TV titles such as Cupid's, Marshall's Law, Frankie Boyle's New World Order and Fresh Meat. But today, like I said, he's fresh meat for our torture chamber. So please help me welcome my mate and the dad with the daddiest dad jokes that you ever did groan at, who can be heard ripping into politicians on his acclaimed podcast pow pow bro which translates to he's my bro from another show but he's also the splendiferous mr tian and dueb yay welcome to the torture chamber how are you going 
That was incredible. Thank that was you. amazing. I generally, right, when, when people like, when I do gigs and they're like, how do you want to be introduced? I always go, oh, with as little fuss as possible. Don't raise expectations. Yeah. Don't make them think they're going to get something good. And But that was like, that was pretty amazing. That's like everything. That's like the last 12 years of my life. I, I, yeah. I'd forgotten I'd done some of that. That was amazing. Oh, you've just, I was actually going to finish that off with your name. This is your life. Because I know you're British. You would know that TV show, whereas Americans yes, probably indeed. wouldn't know it as much. Um, but I did say your surname right, because I was going to deliberately pronounce every vowel deliberately. Just You said it perfectly, which is really impressive. Really impressive. It gets said wrong. On I did a, a BBC uh, radio interview the other day, and they've got my name on like uh, they have a thing when when they have guests regularly mm-hmm. they have a way to pronounce your name that comes up on their screen and they still said it wrong so they're completely <laughs> useless screw up the phonetically <laughs> yeah. screw, that's exactly it it's completely stupid but at the same time i'm the only if you google me i'm the only me so i feel like it's worth all the stress of having to phonetically spell my name every phone call ever just so yep. I can be Googleable. Um, also, yep. I've got to give a shout out. You said you've got obviously you're giving all the props to Vegemite over here in the UK. We're we're Marmite fans, and yeah, uh, I, I don't know is is yeah. I don't, but you've but every Australian I meet would be like uh Marmite, and most British people I meet are like not uh Vegemite. But I don't I don't think they're they're worlds apart. They're kind of they're sort of like siblings, like estranged siblings. Well, yeah, in New Zealand I grew up on Marmite, and then we came here and we're force fed Vegemite. So right. I get got both of them. Right. Yeah, no, from what I can tell, I've never even opened a jar of Marmite. What? Because I don't dare. Marmite's runnier and that just, Vegemite's already a black paste. Like that's already a bit weird. Yeah. It's like eating thickened oil. Um, <laughs> but just, it does taste so good. But then when, when you make it runny. Well, they, they brought out like a special Marmite. They brought out like a special Marmite here that was like Marmite XO and it's basically Vegemite. And then they messed up and brought out like a Marmite with chili in it, which was just not hot enough to be any good, but also didn't taste nice enough to be any. So it didn't win either way. And it's like, why are you messing with this? People like it as it is. Leave it alone. But they wouldn't. They wouldn't. Yeah, you you either like it or you don't. You can't just add hot and get new customers. Exactly. Exactly. True story. Yep. Just that. Lastly, on on your surname, it's that's funny. I've said on the show before that those introductions do take a lot out of me to do. No matter how much I practice, I, I'm short of breath by the end of it. So I really don't care what anyone's name is. It's nothing personal against anyone. <laughs> I just don't want to die. I love that you set yourself up for intros that make you feel like you're going to die. I think that's a oh, yeah. really positive thing to have in a hobby, in in a in a podcast that you make for your enjoyment to to make it so painful for yourself. Yes. <laughs> you You've known me for a while, Tiana, and you know how pretty self-loathing I can be. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Well, it was it was fantastic. I, I thank you for it. And like I said, I'd forgotten I'd done some of those things yeah. uh some of them I, I dine out on regularly but i know big brother's not on your resume at all anywhere not on imdb or anything and i'm like <laughs> that you sly i'm i'm throwing that in there because i got asked yeah. to do it i don't even watch big brother and i remember getting asked to do that and i was like well does it pay yes and i was like well i'll watch one episode and then i just made it up so uh-huh. uh it was a it was a great time i did meet i'm trying to remember um which uh we, oh, I, I met a famous British singer. Well, like famous sort of fifteen years ago, doing it. I'm trying to remember who it was now. I can't even remember. Isn't that terrible? It was someone like Gabrielle, but it wasn't Gabrielle. Anyway, n- nobody listening to this will care. No. But it was still great. People listening to this are hopefully they're broad-minded music fans overall, but they are not. 
you'd think metal and musical fans. Ninety uh, percent theater nerds. Do you reckon? Yeah. I don't, I don't know what our demographic yeah. is, to be honest. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea, really. Yeah, and the and the odd the odd person who's googled Iron Maiden and and hit upon an episode and gone, what is this? Yeah. But all, look, every time, I, well, not every time, but so often when I invite a guest on, get told I'm not a fan of either genre, so I don't know if they'll add anything, which is anyone listening to this that makes you the perfect guest because you don't know the genres. That means we can run you through our gauntlet of torture and introduce you to things that you might learn something like I do every week and then forget about it um, afterwards, but... It is the most common thing I hear is, and I think you even said it to me too. Yeah, I haven't got a clue about either. I, I know there are some musicals I like, but my metal knowledge is uh, extremely limited uh, to basically the things that my dad played me when I was little. He was he was big. So he was like a 70s, 60s, 70s metal fan. I remember he had a Black Sabbath. It must have been Paranoid Vinyl mm-hmm. that uh, had like weird, trippy imagery on the vinyl. So as it spun round, uh, he'd sort of carry me on my shoulders and I'd basically be hypnotised at the age of about three <laughs> staring at it. Yeah. And that was quite incredible. But that's my knowledge is I've, I've got some 70s metal knowledge and then beyond that, nothing. It is absolutely not, not my jam. So... Uh, Who's, oh, what's happened? You're talking about your dad introducing new records. And while you were talking, I was hoping you would keep talking because I'm still in frame. I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Well, I was gonna, I was going to say musicals wise, there's, there's like, I, I'm very picky. Yeah? There's certain musicals I really like, but then beyond that, I just don't know why people keep singing about stuff all the time. I just think, why don't you just, you know, you don't need to sing about everything. So a lot of musicals just seem to be people be like, can you have a biscuit? Oh, yes, please. And you didn't need to sing that. Just say it and piss <laughs> off. You know, I get really bored of it. Yes, yeah. did. Oh, my God. You're breaking my heart. My, I've said it many times. My favorite musical theater lyric is, pass the sugar, please. I dreamt last night we flew to China. <laughs> it continues. Your parents owned a car, don't they? Won't they drive away what's that from god i'm trying to think i should know what that's from too we did it only just recently i know it's from in trousers in trousers yeah i I had wizard in my head i was i would have got it i would have got it right okay i'm backing him up i'm backing him up there's there's plenty of musicals where they just sing what they're doing yeah yeah rather than metaphors to move the story forward they're literally you know i'm writing a letter which which is rubbish right but there's that my big gripe are those ones the ones that are really boring and the other ones are the the ones where they've gone, we've got eight songs by this pop band. Let's form a story around them, even though there isn't one and no one cares. But <laughs> I'm saying that, I just want there to be more like ones with bands, like either go the other way. So I, I really want to write a musical like based on the songs of Rage Against the Machine, where they go really tenuous. And it's like, there's a kid who just won't tidy his room and his mum's like, tidy your room. And he's like, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. <laughs> and then like the orchestra and the choir backs up. Or, or like he gets, he, you know, there's a scene where he gets shot and goes to hospital and the doctor's like, what? What is it? He's got a bullet in his motherfucking head. You know, that's what I want. Like, I want it to go. This is so it's got to either be really silly and know it or, you know, yeah. like Jerry Springer, the opera was brilliant. That was just yeah. a lot of uh, operatic swearing. I love that. That was great. <laughs> yes, it was. What did you give that, Evan? I gave it a minus seven for the seventh <laughs> layer of hell that it belonged on. <laughs> oh, bastard. Yeah. Just quickly, you're talking about vinyls your dad introduced you to. I've got a, an original Buddy Holly vinyl that my dad's had for donkey's years, and 
I found it and I put it in my room and I have no idea where it's gone in that couple of weeks. <laughs> wow. And it's an original one. It's probably around you know, somewhere. highly valuable. Oh, yeah. And you've lost it under detritus. Yeah, but anyway, so we'll, we'll move on to the medal anyways now that I've um, confused myself and, and lost a really probably expensive vinyl. How hard did you bite your tongue? I, la- <laughs> I, I did really hard because I was listening to music at the time and I was listening to Singing in the Rain and Moses the Poses came on, which we'll get to that, and... That's one song. that It's a tongue-twisting song, so of course I'm going to be singing along to it, but you shouldn't talk while you're eating. And I learned that now as a 37-year-old. Anyways, <laughs> now I know that obviously you do a political podcast. I have this novelty hammer to beat myself over the head if either of you start talking about politics. That's absolutely fair. Well, I, I also I know nothing about Australian politics other than that your prime minister once shot himself in a McDonald's. I think that's the the only knowledge I've got. So, uh, which one was that? A current one? Yeah, Scott Morrison shot himself in a McDonald's. Apparently, I should say oh. allegedly or apparently, so he didn't get sued. But uh, beyond that, my Australian politics is very limited. Yeah, no, it, it's just it's a circus. It's they're all the same. Thankfully, I don't I don't have normal free to air TV turned on at all, so I don't see any political ads. There is a campaign on at the moment. There's an election coming up in a few weeks, and all I know of it is that. Scott Morrison just gave us 250 bucks for his for a vote. He's trying to buy votes. Wow. And he and he just sort of went, everyone on um a disability pension or a pa- parent's pension, you can all have 250 bucks just wow. because. So we spent it on vinyl. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm still not voting for him. <laughs> yeah, good, good. That's the way forward. Excellent. Excellent. Mm. <laughs> it's gonna take more than 250 bucks, Gomo. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have a price. It's, it, that's not not it. That is, I mean, that, that is both really crappy. Like the idea of buying someone's vote is terrible. But at the same time, I really wish our government would try and buy our votes. I'd really like two hundred fifty quid. I, again, I wouldn't vote for them, but I still, I'd just like someone to give me two hundred fifty quid. I'd yeah. really like that. Yeah. <laughs> From what we hear, it will pay better than the British entertainment industry. But yeah, that's another story. We're getting political. <laughs> I've had this one for years But the other one The dog shat on it So I was so disappointed Because I had two of them And I had them there Like Thor's hammer And they fell off the shelf And I didn't pick them up And then the dog shat on one of them Wouldn't it be wow. Pink Floyd's hammers? My first thought If I had two hammers Either I would... way It's pretty communist Isn't it? Anyways Let's move on <laughs> We're going to move on To the metal Since we were on that And then we soaked away from it now, do you have much experience with heavy metal? I know you said that before you don't. So, firstly, what would be in your ultimate... We'll just edit that around. Yeah, we'll edit around that. I, look, I've I've had very little sleep. We had a recording last night, which I've been trying to edit in time for to get it out by the end of the month. Yeah, and now you've got blood infused with Vegemite, I think, which is I sort do. of causing all sorts of reactions, yeah. I do. So, anyways, um, what was the question I had asked? Oh, what would be in your ultimate Rockstar Rider? In my ultimate Rockstar Rider? That's an amazing... Do you know what? I've always wanted... Um, did you ever see, like, years ago, Steve Martin was touring with his uh, banjo band, uh, mm. comedian Steve Martin, and they made up, like, a fake rider, which was, like, that the techie has to be called Lightning, um, and they <laughs> always wanted a small Icelandic horse, and that's what I've always wanted. I wanted I want a small Icelandic horse in the dressing room Whoa. with the techie called Lightning. That's... That is 100% what I would like. Yeah, and crisps, a lot of crisps uh, or slash chips. What is it? Is it in Australia, chips or chips? Chips, yeah. Chips. chips, yeah, all right. 
Yeah. But, well. Yeah. I think you're the only ones who say crisps. Yeah, we are. But they're crispy. That's why it makes sense. Come on. <laughs> they're not chippy. They're crispy. Anyway, look, I could argue about this for a long time, but I'd have I'd have immense amounts of crisps and an Icelandic horse on my rider. Uh, but the horse would have to be kept separate to the crisps because if that horse ate my crisps, it is out. Yeah. And I don't want it anymore. <laughs> yeah. No, that's fair enough. Yeah. That's pretty much it. I think I'm quite easy for... Normally, I just ask for water, so this is a real step up. On both dates and in dressing rooms, don't touch my fucking chips. (laughs) Anyways. (laughs) Or my Icelandic horse. It's very true. This week, Evan chose the album, and he chose anthrax so um i'm gonna quickly read through my review gone in and see how we go i'm so intimidated tiana i know i've made you (laughs) laugh enough times over the years to know that you find me funny (laughs) but it's like having adam richard on you know even like daniel franzese i know does stand up but i still i wasn't intimidated but you and adam i'm like oh shit you shouldn't be intimidated we are generally just social outcasts that uh you know there's there's always something if for us to do comedy it means there's something highly wrong with us oh yeah um, freaks of society gravitate towards each other we learned that last night recording exactly. rocky horror so anyways when i first saw the cover and realized it was anthrax i exclaimed finally evans putting me out of my misery once and for all only to realize <laughs> this is the metal band damn it sigh i guess i better give it a listen so I powdered my hopes and kicked off the great spo of the tiffy and the first and most titular track among the living began. And out of all the tracks on this album, this was indeed the first track. <laughs> Caught in a mosh pit had a punk sound. So it should be called Caught in a Slam Pit, eye twitch. But why five minutes long, double eye twitch? By the end of this marathon, my brain had turned into mosh. I am the law began. Uh-oh, nerd alert. I don't mean to judge dreading metal and the policey. Oh, what? <laughs> oh, I, I was meant to say police, but I wrote policey just to be stupid. I don't know why. Can't spell. No, I, I, I like to play with words, clearly. Um, I don't mean to judge. Dreading metal and the policey just comes naturally to me. And whilst I'm reminded of past guest and friend of the chamber, Adam Richard. Oh, my God, fathers. My fingers are I think moisturized. I've never gotten... Uh, I've never been into Judge Dredd, but give me Judge Judy any day. Heck, I'd even settle for Reinhold. F and Nikki Fetson, in parentheses NFL, had me daydreaming of NFL players. Mmm, thick necks. Touchdown, five stars. When I first heard Skeleton in the Closet, I couldn't really relate. I realised back in the 90s. Oh, fuck, I'm old. One star. Indians, the song, was a song. And was very songy. (laughs) And no doubt Evan. What? Have I? Oh, I've done something. Clearly. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, and I didn't get a chance to practice. I'm so sorry, Tina. At least it's in front of someone I know. And not not, not to downplay you or or anything, to disrespect you. It's just comfortability is what I'm saying. Hey, I've never directed the Muppets, so it's it's fair. fair. I don't know why I've written, and no doubt Evan. Because the and next what? No, nothing on the other side. <laughs> no, the next page is they're both numbered three. Yeah, two page threes. I've done two page threes instead of a four. And I was I wasn't yeah. even suffering from my tongue bite at the time. And this is all definitely going in the episode because it just makes me look like a fucking idiot. Anyways, Indians, the song was a song and was very songy. 
And whilst the rah-rah-rahs played out in both music and vocals, it opened with potential for something more melodic than the rest of this ultimately timely track, which speaks of apathy towards the treatment of Native Americans. The story is sadly universal. It is a shame only the song's chorus has any sort of hook or clarity. One World was next and shit turned or kumbaya, but with rah-rah-rahs, kind of expecting Bono to pop up at any moment. Coming up next was Medley 80. Wait, I think I went to school with her. The horror of it all. Lastly, Imitation of Life. What does that mean? Like a zombie? Depression? The Kardashians? No, that's Imitation of Human. I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is like the rest. Oh, my God. This is like the rest are good. Certainly not bad at all. Not really great. But not what, not what I was expecting which is very good, but not quite enough melodic bops to let me breathe in. Three stars. Oh, let, let me breathe anthrax in, not anthra. This is anthra. I'm oh sorry. My. I've completely bungled that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, fix that in post. I do so well in this show. Oh, my God. Uh, that was great. I enjoyed that a lot. Thank you. Um, well, whenever I... No, I guessed beforehand, like from Twitter or whatever. I'm always a little bit more like, don't fuck this up. Even like the legends, there's still that pressure, but for some reason I'm so calm. And I even like, I do really well with them, even if I'm really excited and things are going wrong. I never fuck up like that unless I've like left a page across the room or it was written on the back. Yeah, but there's something worse <laughs> about people. You know, I, I've got it with, like, gigs. If there's people I know in a comedy gig, I always think, well, if I disappoint them, they're going to be able to remind me of it. Exactly. Whereas if it's an audience I don't care about and I don't know, if I if I bomb, they're like, well, they're not going to text me later and tell me how much they hated it. So I don't care. <laughs> there's a lack of caring about it. It's an incredible hole that you're digging. It's brilliant. It is. Let's move on. <laughs> Let's move on. So I, I don't know. There was so much... So many times that this album would slip into a melodic moment, but there was just so much rah, 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 all the way through. We could, we could go a lot more rah, if you like. This is, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a rah, rah, rah. But... Well, it was a bit. The music was very thump, thump, thump. Yeah. You can't have something called metal and then it'd be quiet. Like metal's, metal's not an unnoisy substance, is it? Like you wouldn't, you know, no. you don't, you don't think of like, oh, I need a really soft, quiet, like cushion. I'm going to get a metal one. Like you buy, you buy metal for noise stuff. It makes sense. I yeah. loved it. I, you know, I, I, well, I really enjoy it, but I want the intro to Among the Living when I just enter buildings. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to like walk in a door and that's what plays as I walk in. Even just like the supermarket, I want that beginning bit of Among the Living to play as I walk in pretty much everywhere I go. That's what I've decided now. I'm sold on that. <laughs> Get a, um, a boombox and put it on your shoulder. And... <laughs> yes. It's a really good idea. It's a really good idea. Cassettes are coming back. VHSs are coming back. Someone's opening somewhere in the world, I don't know where, a VHS store. Mm, yeah, they're becoming collectible. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. People hunt down, you know, just like vinyl, they want, you know, specific region copies of certain films are, are more collectible than others. And yeah. Yeah. yeah and once things become rare, the people will collect them. And once their VCRs chew the tape, yeah. they're going to scream and shout and wonder why they spent this money. Oh, you can't play them. Well, what's the point? <laughs> you just want to have them. Oh. Oh, I've got yeah. heaps of them. I could probably make lots of money. <laughs> Because there were all these like bands that were releasing limited singles on like a cassette recently, and it's like, mm. why would you yeah. want like I, 
like it's what, cheap. You... It's cheap. Self-producing. It's, it's cheap. It is cheap. Yeah. And if they break, you can fix them with a pencil and stick it in there and twist it around. <laughs> That's it. But they'd also be like forty-five minutes or sixty minutes, like. And the sound was rubbish. I mean, compared to now, like if you were to go back to listen to cassette tapes, you'd just be like, "What is this? This is horrific." I actually want to. I've got it. I've asked Evan to help me yeah. from Perth. Yeah. I got a, a tape, a cassette tape from my kindergarten where we all sing songs and line up and say our names and all that. Right. There's a bit of rock in it, and I oh. don't know how to open it up because I'm too stupid. Anyways. You get some little glasses screwdrivers and off you go. Although some tapes are glued together, and then you then you need a you know, backup case. You have to break it open and replace it into something you can sacrifice. <laughs> it's pretty easy. It really is. It really is. But it's still it's still such an incredible when you think about now when kids are like, I'll oh, just download another one. Yeah. Whereas like the effort then is I've got to re-glue it into a new like armor and then put the te- yeah. and rewire the tape. Like, wow, the effort just to hear stuff again. Yeah. No, I had to, I I used to do it all the time. I'd record something off vinyl onto tape and of course the, the blank tapes are, yep. you know, sixty minutes long and the, the album's only forty five minutes long. Oh, we'll cut that fifteen minutes of tape off. You know, so that it turns over in the car without a big gap. You have oh. always been a nerd. Oh yes. my god, fathers. <laughs> Speaking of which I, I put a three foot Ralph Wiggum on my wall today. Um and I asked Tiernan before what his favorite nineties movies were, because I was hoping you would say one that I had the one sheet for. Uh, the closest I could come though was Scream Three, because you oh, said nice. Scream, um, and I have the Scream Two poster, but it's somewhere. That. Anyways, back onto the music because this this has been a car yeah. crash from me well before <laughs> we even started up the Zoom. So, anyways, yes. So Evan. Why did you pick this album? Because it's Anthrax is among the living, obviously. Oh, it's, sorry. Oh, I should have known. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, for me personally, it combines sort of everything I love. You yeah. know, you got you got Judge Dredd, you got Stephen King, you got Poltergeist references in here. Um, well, the, the cover is clearly a dude from Poltergeist too. Preacher Kane, creepy. Oh, mother. really? Because yeah. I make yeah. jokes about the cover, but I don't really look at it. <laughs> Yeah, there's actually two Stephen King references in this. And, of course, the Judge Dredd you, you picked. And, of course, today I have my Judge Dredd anthrax shirt on that literally says I am the law. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, my God, Father. <laughs> I told you I had a shirt for this one today. Yeah, Among the Living, uh, the song itself is based on The Stand, talking about I'm the walking dude, which, who is Randall Flagg, who is Stephen King's main guy through the Dark Tower and pretty much every. Every bad oh, guy yeah. he has is, is Randall Flagg. Never seen it, never read it. Oh, for God's sake. Obviously, I I'm the law I'm is... Sorry, I'm not the biggest Stephen King fan. And it, it's odd to get an American band in 87 to write a song about Judge Dredd is kind of odd. You know, the distribution wasn't there for the comics. You know, 2008 wasn't really reaching the American market in the 80s. I mean, I had to special order it just from New Zealand and Australia. Um, Skeleton in the Closet is inspired by your favourite film apt pupil no it's not my favorite film i've never seen it favorite book i've never read it i know you've mentioned it many times i've mentioned it because it's problematic the director like went to court that's the whole thing i've never seen it i know brad renfro (laughs) was in it and ian mccallum like i know all of it It was you know out in the 90s during my 90s horror phase Uh. i've just pulled out a bloody scream three poster so clearly i had one but i never saw it Oh, well, it's excellent. And it's one of my favorite novels as well. Yeah, it's kick ass. 
Brian Singer disappeared. He disappeared halfway through making Bohemian Rhapsody. That's why half of that movie is so different. Oh, okay. Wow. You go halfway through it and they just... Yeah, it's yeah. a whole thing. But yeah, Anthrax, I chose Anthrax because, for God's sake, we've got to get around to doing Anthrax. They're, they're part of the big four. Are they? The, yeah, Metallica, Megadeth, Never heard of uh, Slayer, and Anthrax. They were the big four bands of, you know, early 80s. I had no idea what Anthrax was until after 9-11 happened and it was a whole thing. You know? <laughs> yeah, that was an issue as well. They, they did consider changing their name. Um, and apparently the story goes, uh, Scott Ian, who's the main guy, is the bald guy with the, um, the long goatee, um, who's, a, who's just an absolute legend. He's the rhythm guitarist. He's been there since day one and is still there now. He's the only constant member. Um, the story goes that he actually went down because they are New, York, New Yorkers. He went down to Ground Zero and met, uh, you know, some first responders who were just kind of standing around. They're like, oh, and recognized him. And sort of went, don't you change the name of the band, man. Don't you dare. Don't let them win. So they stayed anthrax, even though all of a sudden everyone associated with uh, other Yeah, things. well, it's more that awkward of like people ordered their stuff in the post and it came like you've got anthrax in the post. Like that would have been mm. the issue, wouldn't it? If yeah. It's like yeah. <laughs> the postman going, I've got a delivery of anthrax for you. Like, yeah. And then you've got posters on the wall, you know, anthrax, May 1st. Yeah, <laughs> you know. yeah it doesn't look good. Um. It doesn't look good. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and of course, I chose Among the Living because it's the first album with uh, Joey Belladonna singing, who they've gone through a few different singers, mainly Joey and John Bush. There's sort of different eras, but he's back in the current the current lineup is now uh, Joey singing again with Scott Ian. Um, I think the rest of them have all come and gone over the years. There's They've gone through a fair few members. What happens? They will just not get along and then fall out and then all get along again. Yeah, they have been riddled with tragedy. They've had like brothers. They had a, um, yeah, they had a, I can't, I've been trying to track it down who, who it was. It was a close friend was shot um, and the assailant was never found. Um, they had another friend was literally shot on stage uh, in a, another band, but he had played for Anthrax as well. Um, I freaking didn't have the notes on his name. Um, but some a fan literally went up and, and shot the guitarist in the head on stage and Jeez. four other people. Um, and ever since then, he's, you know, the anthrax, uh, like, you know, uh, bands themselves changed. Like, you don't come on stage anymore. You know, that's when, from then on, security will just jump on you for a long, many years. What country was that? It was in America, of course. I mean, it's horrific. And it's also, it's so metal and it does, it's awful, but also feels like proper metal stories that this is how Mm. members have gone. Yeah. So, you know, at least it's on brand. Many, many times the Anthrax have nearly broken up and and Scott Ian has just gone, nah, we're not quitting and and we'll carry on. Um, They, the, they were recording um, Persistence of Time. I think it was about 2003 or something like that. The entire bloody studio burnt down. They lost everything. Oh, my God. All their instruments, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of gear. And, they, and again, he's like, you know, we, we, we can't give up now. You know, we've got to keep powering on. So they are still going today. They're still one of the biggest, certainly metal, speed metal bands in the world. Like I said, up there with Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, Anthrax, Big Four. Um, so we did anthrax because we had to. Hang on, I've got to ask because I'm completely ignorant. To this what what is the difference between speed metal and metal? Is me- is other metal slower or is it something else? What's yeah, the... you can have you know melodic metal. There's so many sub genres. Right. It's not funny. You know, you death metal and black metal and 
Um, See, I know those ones. I just didn't know what speed metal. Is it just that it is faster? Is that why it's... Yeah, pretty much. It's just, you know, yeah, way faster. And that wasn't very fast. (laughs) As Aaron said earlier about the anger, the anger side, you know, the the mosh pits for anthrax were renowned for being pretty brutal. And if you didn't come out with some kind of an injury, you just didn't try hard enough. You know, they were bad. Thankfully, I've never been in an anthrax mosh pit. I have not been able to see them live, which sucks well please don't because i need my co-host thank you very much <laughs> but, um, yeah uh and they're, they're pioneers um with the same year in 87 they released a single called i'm the man where they were rapping uh, which is pretty much as far as we know one of the first instances of the mixing of of rap and metal um, and then I think it was a year later, they teamed up with Public Enemy to re-record Bring the Noise. That was what really got them, you know, worldwide attention. Bring the Noise That's was epic. Big. They would then tour with Public Enemy and then the show would finish with Public Enemy and Anthrax, the final song, singing to together Bring the Noise. And they did that, you know, all around the country. Oh, geez, we should have been able to see that. Public Enemy I've heard of. <laughs> I'm glad you've heard of Public Enemy. <laughs> Chuck D, Chuck D, and Flavor Flav with his Flavor giant. Flav. That's it, yeah. Uh, well, I, I clock medallion. I wasn't going to say it was like Axel Rose because I know it's not Axel Rose. Anyways, <laughs> I'm really glad Axel Rose wasn't in Public Enemy. I feel like that would have. I feel that would have really ruined them as a yeah. as a group. Just the wrong sort of wrong vibes. Yeah, <laughs> he would have been fired pretty quickly just just for being too drunk, constantly drunk. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's a it's a broken record we hear on this show. Got fired for being <laughs> drunk. I only heard it just last night. Yep. Insane. All the time. Yeah. Look, okay. I I I, res- I give them the respect, but I I don't know. Oh, they are legends. You just missed out on it. That's all. I did. I did. Um, I've said it before. Metallica just had so many good songs that were so melodic, that were so sing-alongable, but still heavy metal. Oh, and and there again, this album was dedicated to um Cliff Burton. The- Metallica's bass player who died, I think about six months before it came out, something like that. Bus crash. Oh, really? Bloody bus crash. This metal seems so dangerous. Yeah. So they've been surrounded by death, unfortunately. Anthrax have not had a great run. Their insurance policies must be so expensive. <laughs> I just don't know yeah. how they'd get insured for anything. If if you got every everything you do ends up in some sort of awful tragedy, I don't know. You wouldn't be able to get any travel insurance. It'd be terrible. Mm. Wow. Uh, so, um, Tiernan, what would yeah. you give this album, or what did you think overall? I really enjoyed it. I'm, I, as I'm not, I'm not a metal fan, not for any reason other than I, I wasn't really, um, it wasn't what I listened to as I was growing up. Uh, and I've got a mate who's a big metal fan who constantly tries to send me stuff uh, to get into it. But I got into like I, I was always just like because I was big into hip hop and through that kind of Rage Against the Machine and that sort of side of things but I like this I like the music a lot I think I prefer the sort of first half of the album to the second uh, that might just be because when I was listening to it I had stuff to do during the second half so I didn't pay as much attention but <laughs> but, I, but I really like it I, I, I think um, it's weird now like you said it's weird hearing tracks that are so long now I think that that's my problem, not the album's problem. Like, they're still good mm. and they carry through the track, but I am just an impatient bastard with loads of stuff to do. So I sort of go, it's still going on. Like, that's not, it's not, it sounds bad. I just, 
I'm not used to this. I'm so used to songs being quicker. And it's it's sort of rewiring my brain. It's going, no, it's fine. It's like, it's fine that it's five minutes. But I but I enjoyed it. I listened to it a couple of times since. Like I said, I think that right on the, on the uh, uh, I liked I liked Indians. I really like I Am The Law, but I like that that intro, just the guitar that kicks in on Among The Living. Honestly, I could listen to that, just that bit over and over again. <laughs> it's yeah. awesome. And like I said, I want to walk on stage to that. It's brilliant. It's really Yeah, cool. that could be a, you know, a WWE entrance song. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That hits, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. It's really good. Really good. Big fan. Wrestling just got brought up for my show in a non homoerotic <laughs> way. I, it, it's hard to find good entrance music, and entrance music will define a, a career. Welcome you know? to musical theater, Evan. Good to see you. But just on, on, um, having a friend that always gives you things to listen to i in my past experience every time i didn't like something for some reason the person always took it personally they didn't make it It, they're just a fan of it and wanted me to enjoy it and i didn't enjoy it and and it ruined a friendship so i try not to say that to people myself but here I am on a podcast where we do it every episode. So, <laughs> well, I, I worked out this particular friend was another comedian. Uh, so, shout out to Andrew O'Neill. Um, and we would have very, very long car journeys to gigs. And the way we'd get through it was they don't like uh, hip hop uh, particularly, and yep. I didn't like metal. And I, I would make them listen to one hip hop track, and they'd make me listen to one metal. We'd swap these basically, yep. and uh, and through it, I learned quite a lot, and, and they learned quite a lot. So I felt like that was. That, it was good. It was a good experience. Um, now, is there anything else on Anthrax? I got the coffee burps. Um, they're awesome. I, I, I don't know how <laughs> how more I could explain that. Um, they're just one of those bands that, like I said, they started eighty one. They're, they're still going now. They're still sounding just as good as they always did. Um, they're pretty much original lineup. Um, they still put on a hell of a show. Uh, obviously, COVID has stuffed everything up, but apparently, they are planning on touring again with a new album at some point and yeah god they're, they're just legends they're just they're, like i said they're up there with your metallicas and your megadeths and slayers they're just just one of those bands that can you know fill a stadium 30 years later yeah i've never heard of them I'm trying to respect that never heard of anthrax um wow yeah sorry um yeah. just on on that anthrax thing of wanting to change their name right as COVID hit uh, in 2020, I started watching Project Runway on Foxtel and there was a contestant on there named COVID. Mm. And I just felt so what? sorry for the poor guy. It was with a K. He's from India or Pakistan. Or, um, right. It's <laughs> an unfortunate coincidence. It was just an unfortunate coincidence because it was filmed the year before. That's amazing. There was a stupid thing over here when... Um... Because Corona beer just didn't sell for ages when yeah. coronavirus first hit. Because I think oh, yeah, like, that's right. It yeah. must be the same. It's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> just drink it. These days, they just take the vodka off the shelves with good reason, I might add. Yep. Well, anyways, I think we can blow off anthrax while I go powder my nose. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> This summer, winter, spring, or fall, the first ever musical theater sitcom where you go behind the scenes of the latest West End show, The Fosse Forest Ballet. Where's the important stuff? Aha! 
a thousand pound a week ensemble rate. Ah, that's what Mamma Mia likes. Starring Philip Joel and a West End cast featuring Carrie Alice, Darren Denny, Louise Demon, and Oliver Saville, and more. It all started in 1987 when I was a jobbing actress working in a diner. Yeah, it's just I, I had a really bad experience when I was touring Australia with a wombat. <gasps> Darling! Mwah, mwah, mwah. How long have I been mentoring you? Three months? Two years. So, her name is Henrietta. The horse. Yes. I've managed to secure you an audition for the biggest, most innovative, and the latest show to be going into the West End. Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat. Think more along the lines of Pant. Frozen. Watch this episode for the price of a coffee. Simply go to www.thefussyforestbelly.com. Any and all profits go back to theater charities, acting for others, and the theater's trust. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll see a grown man in sparkly tights. Tight nights. Nice tights. Anyways, we're back with Thrash and Treasure. I'm Aaron. That's Evan. And we are joined by my mate, Tiernan Dulib. I like that. You did it right the first time. That was more oh, inventive, but I liked it. I enjoyed okay. it. You added a sort of L in there. No, what do you know what? I, I got told recently that I've been saying it wrong my whole life. So Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Well, because I'm 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 a North London boy from an area called Finsbury Park, so I've always pronounced it Dooyeb. Tin and Dooyeb. But my cousin has been researching our our family history and we think my granddad's parents were from Algeria so it should be Dahweeb right but I've never said that because also I'd have got called Dweeb at school so I'm glad I didn't do that um but that's I'm a bastard for doing that to you I'm so sorry <laughs> I go for Dooyeb like that so it reminds <laughs> me of um like a word of power from Dune <laughs> oh no, we're bringing up Dune again. Oh no. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I like that. Triggered. Triggered. Every time you say it, someone falls over. Every you know. time you say it, part of my spirit dies. <laughs> I wish that was true. <laughs> it would also explain why so many people mispronounce it for safety reasons. So it sort of brings a kindness to their crap understanding of my name. Bloody nerds. Oh my goodness gracious me. But anyways, we're going to move on. Now, what would be your favorite Mondegreen or your favorite Misshood lyric? Oh, that's oh, that's really good. Um, do you know what? I'm going to give you a really stupid one, right? For good. for ages, <laughs> I genuinely thought, um, you know that song "Burn, Baby, Burn, Disco Inferno," right? And and it goes "Burn, Baby, Burn, Disco Inferno, Burn, Baby, Burn." And then I think it says "Burn that mother down." And for some reason in my head, I always just thought it said "Well, a love a bang," and I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know where I got that from. I always just thought they made up their own word and threw it in just for like fun because they they just like well, I want to say "Well, a love a bang," so and. Um, for ages, for years, <laughs> for years and years, yeah. I'm I'm really bad at lyrics. I've got no idea what most lyrics are, and I, I used to, I spend a lot of time as a student waking up my um my friend who was in the room next door by playing like songs that he really hated and singing all the wrong lyrics to him at like seven in the morning when we were both very hungover. So he'd he'd really hate me, <laughs> and um I got very good at it. So yeah. Well, um, what was that? Blinded by the light, Evan. That I said. I've always thought it was um, wrecked up like a douchebag. Yeah. And you're over in the night. 
or it's, it's I, I've it... always thought it was that and it was Evan that told me no it's, yeah, it's not right that the... yeah <laughs> I don't want to like know a... what it is I don't I know I don't want to know what it is I'm happy with my douchebag hang on that's taken out of context that's a really awkward sentence <laughs> so we're going to move on to singing in the rain <laughs> That is a common one to get wrong, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it is. Um, Wrapped up like a douchebag. That's great. Yeah, wrapped up like a douchebag. I don't even know what that means, but anyways, I enjoy it. Let's move on to Singing in the Rain, something else I absolutely love and enjoy, and I should have my DVD around here somewhere. Oh, God, I've just misplaced everything. I've got the two disc. Uh, of course you have a copy. Of course I do. That's right here. Singing in the Rain. I've got the two-disc special edition, and it's got a um, audio commentary with Debbie Reynolds, Donald O'Connor, Sid Charisse, Kathleen Freeman, Stanley Donan, Comden and Green, and Baz Luhrmann. Oh, wow. What's Baz got to do with it? Was he even alive? This would have been, yeah, it was 2002, so this was probably right after Moulin Rouge, so he was, you know, the big hot musical director at the time. Yeah, it does feel a little bit like, oh, he's free. Then Basil did. <laughs> we got left to do. So anyways, so I picked Singing in the Rain because it is a classic comedy. So I thought that would be a good one because uh, we don't often do movie musicals. So Evan, take the reins because I'm so delirious right now. <laughs> Obviously, I've heard of Singing of the Rain. Uh, yeah, everyone's heard the song. It's Again, it's yeah. another one of those that's that's broken out into the mainstream playlist, uh, which is an achievement. There's only a handful of musicals that really do that, although it was a film first. Uh, okay, game on. But anyways, continue. A handful, like a couple of handfuls out of the many hundreds of thousands of musicals. There's well, only really a few handfuls of songs that actually make it out. It's like I always say, more than two handfuls is enough. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, but I had never seen the film or or watched the musical or listened to the the songs other than singing in the rain. Yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah, I was surprised how funny it was. The the film's hilarious, isn't it? It's, it's certainly with um, the way it's shot, the there's stuff going on in the background all the time. These all these sort of um, what do you call them? Extras are, are being funny. Donald O'Connor is a legend. Shame he's dead. I think most of these people are dead, unfortunately. Only Rita Moreno of the credited cast is alive. Yeah, there you go. There's one left. And then there's one actress, I can't remember her name, who was uncredited, who's still alive. Right. Fair enough. But as, as of the Wikipedia cast list, I did check them all. As a musical, I don't think it really works, mainly just because Ouch. I found a lot of the songs don't really have anything to do with the story. They just start singing for the hell of it. But that's because you're so used to this Sondheim impact. Yeah, I mean, apart from like Good Morning, where they, you know, they've been talking all night trying to save the show, and and they're singing about Good Morning, fine. But um, yeah, he was he sang in the rain just for the hell of it. He didn't he didn't have to dance he in the rain. Happy. There was no need. He could have called a cab. <laughs> could have called a cab. Okay, well. He brushed the driver away. Thank you very much. He tells him, go away. Like, fuck off. I'm... Yeah, exactly. He chose to sing in the rain. Like, there was no yes. need. It was not like he was stuck out somewhere and had to walk home and therefore decided to sing. Like, that's what I mean. The songs really can be played out of context. They don't really have anything to do with the story. Not to say the songs aren't bad. I'm just saying they don't really. Aren't bad or aren't good? I'm not saying that they're bad. Yeah, I'm saying they're not good songs. I mean, Sing of the Rain is an absolute classic. It's a huge song. Make Them Laugh, I was surprised that I knew, yeah. even though I'd never seen the film. 
which again was, oh, that's, what's his face, O'Connor again? Donald O'Connor, what's his face? O'Connor? I tried looking for a pro He's shot. Two stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and you call him, what's two his face, them. O'Connor? Two what's stars. Two? What's the second? What's the, I didn't realize Donald O'Connor has two stars. What's the, what's the second, or what are they for? I have no idea. Just being that good. Just Wikipedia telling me things that may or may not be correct. Should have looked. I, I I rely on Evan to do the intelligent stuff. You brought it up. You're I do. I know, know lots about this, but I'm waiting for you to finish. <laughs> now I'm surprised because this is one of the greatest films of all time on every yep. list. It's on the list. I I thoroughly accept it's on the list. It's up there with you. Dr. Shivago's and and um, The Godfather. Yeah, yeah. That top 10, top 20 films everyone should have seen. I should have seen it, and I now finally have. You brought up Moses, supposes. Um, that's clever as hell and, and really yeah. would take a lot of practice. Um, um, what was that? Oh, yeah, you were bringing up... Um, oh, the one where he slams it. Make him laugh. Is that... Yeah, where he slams himself around the stage. Now I haven't seen the musical version. Are they? Do they do close to that? Seen because it either. But I yeah, did I get into. Saw, a production. I could have found. I found uh, high school productions and like college productions, um, but I didn't see a professional production. So uh, yeah, I, if you throw yourself around like that eight times a week, you you're gonna end up battered and bruised consistently. <laughs> yeah. That's... Um. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. You'd have to. You'd have to employ some, you know, wrestling moves to to not hurt yourself doing that. No, 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 no. You'd have to employ a standby, obviously, but also they have an alternate for the really, really demanding roles. Like the really demanding roles, there's always an alternate that will do maybe two performances. Fair enough. I I was surprised, and I think the musical does it as well as the film. They they literally hit the chorus of singing in the rain within the first five seconds of the film starting. We know yeah. what you're here for. Here yeah. it is. <laughs> and the, yeah, and they and I think they hit that tune because they reprise it, and it's in the overture. And I'm pretty sure someone's whistling the tune as well. So that the tune for singing in the rain appears at least four times. In the musical, and by the time they're reprising it at the end, I'm sitting there going, "Okay, I get it. We came for singing in the rain, but we have already heard it." But yeah, no, it was it was funny. Obviously, the the film, the the, the dancing in the film, the choreography is it's incredible. I, I'd oh yeah, be amazed how close the stage shows get to that. I don't know. No, no one can dance like Gene Kelly now, can they? No. I don't know if anyone can. Like that, he was. Just uh, incredible for it. Like, yeah. And, and just the fact that his co-star is keeping up, you know, spot on as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You sort of blur your eyes a little bit and watch them both at the same time. And they are perfectly in sync, right down to their fingers. Yeah. yeah. It's incredible. Watch it with the sound off. Oh, yeah. That's a good idea. All right. Yeah. Do that and just watch his legs and watch mm. his face because Gene Kelly, especially, there is... There's a reason why he's still looked up to and praised because it was just so natural to him. And he was a bit of a taskmaster, but funnily enough with, um, sorry, just quickly with Donald O'Connor, uh, in terms of casting the film, I mean, he need, Gene needs to find someone who can live up to him, you mm, know, can exactly. keep up with him. And uh, I think it was Donald said to Gene, I turn to the left right because uh it turns on his right foot so it turns to the left and gene says so do i and i think that's what got him the part that they both turn the same way 
right. comfortable gotcha. for them. So right. when you see yeah. one of them turn to the right, that's not their comfortable way of turning. But Gene was a, a taskmaster, very much so. Um, his co-stars got bruised fingers along the way, Debbie Reynolds and Sid Charisse, because he was his grip was very tight and he was very much the lead dancer. And yeah, it was hard. It was hard. But just lastly, that singing in the rain number, it's deceptively simple for something that is so incredibly iconic. The dancing in it, it's a bit intricate, yes, but nowhere near as intricate as what we get in the rest of the film. And I've, I was watching it on silent after having watched it through um, with the sound up. And I was paying attention to it. It is the lighting isn't theatrical. It is very plain because what the if you look at rain in most films, the light mm-hmm. is coming from the back, and it's a very it's usually very dark, right? Because they need to light rain from the back. It won't show up on camera lighting it from the front. But here, it did have to be lit. It was so like the whole scene was so so obviously done in a studio backlot. But back in in fifty one, there was not the technology to create a storm or a fucking flood in the middle of the studios. Like they had to create that piping system and put holes and stuff all the way through and create that rain. They had to make the puddles. They had to dig holes in the ground. And so it's deceptively simple. So when you watch it, it is very, very simple, but there is so much that went behind it. It is so technical. Mm. And even just when he leaps up on the post, how the fuck he doesn't slip off that I will never know. <laughs> I've always wondered as a kid because I've never been able to leap over a gutter or anything like that without slipping over in the fucking rain. And, and he's in tap shoes, so they haven't got, like, grips. <laughs> They're not even good grippy shoes. It's properly skillful. That's it. I, I don't know if he was in um taps, though, because usually they'll do that in post. Like, they'll... I think they do it with their hands in post. Do they? Yeah. So you mean they're not tapping... There's somebody in a little room with some spoons yeah, just tapping time. away... Wow, that's shattered that for me. That's yeah. I was I was really thinking they were ta- it was all recorded from the, I don't know floor microphones or something, and they've all no. It's just a man yeah. in a room with a little pencil on a table or something. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> Usually, wow. like his hands inside the shoes on a, a block of wood. Oh, I see. So they are doing it in the right. That's little shoe hands. See, I swear I noticed that in Rocky Horror. There's a tap, a little tap number, and she's flying across the stage in pirouettes. I'm going, that is not matching up with what I'm hearing. No. 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 <laughs> I don't think they cared that much on that one, though. No. Oh, it's camp and over the top. Yeah. yeah. It was supposed to be over mm. the top. Oh, I think that's all I've got to say about singing in the rain. So that anyone listening to this, put it on silent. You will still laugh your head off because we all know what happens mm. in this movie. It's very simple. But this, the story is told so well that... You know, seems to be like the uh, the beginning of miming, as far as I know. Well, telling the story of miming a, a you know miming a show. Uh, like I said, it was it was a lot funnier than I thought. Yeah, well, it's it's also like the whole kind of tale of when Hollywood first went into sound. You know, yeah. and how that changed and killed the the silent film industry. Like it's got that amazing story to it. John Gilbert, yeah, John Gilbert was an actor who that happened to him. He was a big famous silent star, and when he went into talkies. Yeah, having to make that transition really cool. to, to talkies. Yeah, I don't know how factual it is in, in general. Yeah, with oh, no, it's the whole microphone issues and, and it sounds right. Though. Yeah. I think early microphones probably were crap and they were too big. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But also like Almost this certainly. was 
51, again, they didn't have the technology and stuff. When you watch it on silent, pay attention to that ballet because there are no strings attached to her shawl. That is fans. And you can sometimes see the shadows on the ground of the crew moving the giant fans around, but they had to move them and angle them in time to the music so that like it will rise up with the crescendo and stuff like that. It is masterful, the, the making filmmaking behind this. But again, it's, it's not like the Wizard of Oz where we're transported to a fantasy world. So obviously there's lots of techniques being used that are going to blow our minds. This is a very simple story. You know, it's very simply mm. done, but so goddamn effective and, and so intricately done. I love that bit, though, in the film where it's just like, and now it's Gene Kelly's little film he's put in the middle of this big film. <laughs> I really, I mean, oh, I love that whole yes. sequence, but it is so like, what's happened now? Ah, oh, just a totally different story for, I mean, I know it's sort of their film that they make, but even then it does just feel like, they were like, oh, we've got to fill 20 minutes. What have you got? It's like, well, let's just do this. <laughs> let's do something completely different. But it's amazing. It's all amazing dancing. It works perfectly. But sorry, I was about to say that. Oh my god, there's this is another musical about putting on musicals, <laughs> yeah. but it not quite, it didn't quite end up that way. So, no, no, I suppose in 51, it was like pre kind of meta, like they probably got there first. You got to give them some credit for it, but yeah, yeah true. but I also like Moses, suppose, which I think is, is one of my favorite. I, I just love it. I love the routine. I love the song. But essentially, they just assault that guy. <laughs> like, when you look at it now, it says, you're like, yes, yeah. you're just assaulting yeah. this guy. Like, you're really lucky you got away with that. In, in today's world, he'd have sued you. There'd be so many issues. Yeah. Like, so what did he do to you? He just <laughs> stand, standing there trying to teach proper enunciation, and he gets piled on with garbage and paper. Yeah. They're like, yeah, yeah you, buddy. pretty brutal. Yeah, or just think yeah. about it. If, oh, yeah. if a choreographer or a director was to bruise their their actors' fingers today, those actors would be on Twitter calling them out. And yet that was my next point was I was quite surprised at the complete disregard for actors or stuntmen's safety. Yeah. Um, even like very early on where all the call girls, call girls, all the, the dancing girls in pink come in as a group and, and do, do their show. And you can see everyone's throw, throwing streamers. And they just keep throwing streamers and they're covered in them. They're getting, they're going to trip on them. There's this massive pile of streamers on the floor and they just keep throwing more. And I'm sitting there going, someone is going to go ass up here. There's no way you can dance in this. They haven't, if you look again, they're literally like they've been, Spider-Man has just ejaculated all over these kids and, and they're <laughs> trying to leave, you know? I mean, that's another problematic film that you've described there. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's when Marvel Cinematic Universe collapses when they do that. Yeah, but all the stunt scenes as well, you know, oh, yeah. I'll just, just ride a motorbike off into a into a river. Like, yeah, I'm sure someone did just ride a motorbike off to a river. But, you know, there's no editing there. There's no green screen. There is no jump cut, right? But there no is when he, when he goes into the house, there is a jump cut. So you can see that, it, like, there he's not actually in the house, right? It's a, a filmmaking yeah, yeah. technique. They used it in I Dream of Genie and Bewitched all the time that you just stand there still and they'll move something and then keep filming or whatever yeah, you yeah. want, right? There is no jump cut when he goes off the cliff and the guy, you can no, you watch him, he yeah, prepares no. himself for that landing midair and, and that's very much what it was like. Look, I think it was Buster Keating, at Ke Buster Keaton, Oh, whichever dropped the house on him. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the big panel falling, falling forward. Yeah, there's so many ways that can go wrong. 
yeah and it's yeah. yeah back then they they were ballsy yeah well also didn't gene kelly just do all his own stunts he did all his own stunts and his own he just did everything and now yeah. i don't think you'd be allowed to let no, someone no, do that let alone if they were i suppose tom cruise does it doesn't he, he does his crazy sort of jumping a bike off things yeah gene kelly was very much like that they, a lot of them were back then oh yeah yeah the stunt department back then was just very bare bones and you know yeah a plane into a house sure thing let's go got a plane yeah got a barn let's do it you know <laughs> it's also so also like celebrities then just must have felt so untouchable like you i couldn't imagine gene kelly in the world now where you could just go on twitter and say that bit of dancing was shit mate like you couldn't you know he, <laughs> like he, he was he was so like his whole presence was so like properly legendary here is an mm. you know here is a star he can sing and dance and do all his own stunts like it, it just sort of felt at a time when when celebs were properly like well they, yeah. were, they were talented for a start you weren't just celebs but yeah. also like properly untouchable that's yeah, it amazing that's the, the yeah i, I kind of missed that that people actually had talent and we had to hear about them all the time <laughs> so yeah basically summing up i think i've, I've got to give like got to give two scores here because the, the the movie has got to be an easy five out of five it's just yep. It's on that list of, of movies that everyone should have seen in order to participate in modern society. Yeah. The musical, though, uh, give it a three. Maybe if you saw it live. Yeah. Wow. I think if you take the music out of the film and just listen to it as an album, yeah. like I said, that my earlier point is it, they the, the songs don't really seem to relate to the, the story in any way. <laughs> it's just something to sing about. Yeah, but that's what it was like back then. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you don't have to move the story along, but at least be relevant, like about what's happening on the screen. Yeah, I think you've got to have the film with it, though, haven't <laughs> yeah. you? You've got to have the film with it. It yeah. just, it doesn't, it doesn't feel. But the also, same. it is a jukebox musical in a sense because those songs were pre-written. Mm. Yeah, it's all about the songs. Yeah, yeah. You've got to allow the two things to exist together and not, you know, not go well. Yeah, make them laugh was written for the film, but it, there's a dispute. Or there's not a dispute. What had happened was it's very much the same as Be a Clown by Cole Porter. Oh, okay. But he didn't sue, so. But everyone would agree that it's Make Him Laugh and Be a Clown are the same song. Yeah. Most of the songs all sort of stand alone by themselves too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not like the song doesn't make any sense outside of the musical and vice versa. Like you you could watch an edited copy of this without any music in it and would still tell the same story. That's Don't kind of you dare. <laughs> I'd love to see that actually be like the 15 minute yeah. roundup of singing in the rain without singing in the rain in it. The fucking Quentin Tarantino remake of singing in the rain. <laughs> everybody, everybody dies at the end. Yeah. yeah. God help us all. Uh, yeah. No, I, I love this. Uh, look, I would love to see it live myself. Mm. I missed out on it. I, um, my theatre class went to see it when it was in Melbourne, and at the time, though, I was had just was enjoying the punk scene too much, and so I had taken a bit of time off um, going to theatre class on a Saturday morning after a Friday night at the pub, so I didn't get to see it. So I, I always kicking myself for that that I missed out on about four or five months of theatre class because I saw like um I never saw the musical version, but I saw a sort of uh yeah like a kind of like a what it was like a, a ballet kind of version and it was good but it wasn't i i wanted all the tap dance stuff hmm. is there a pro shot anywhere like on broadway hd or anything like that 
doesn't probably any... not no no there's just multiple multiple high school and college and local theater productions yeah that's a damn shame yeah i'd love to see a good full product professional you know production of it the rain as we we talked about recently happens in the middle of uh, the, at the end of act one so they pump the water like it, it, and it rains down and then they've got to clear off that rake stage which is a, a stage that slopes so obviously the water that still down. does my head in from a you know from a yeah. technical um roadie engineering side of it having to deal with raining on the stage yeah you know knowing what's under there and around there and uh, what a nightmare to, to organize it's like, oh yeah we want it to rain on stage yeah proper rain yep. <laughs> i suppose moses he noses the shows as it goes as and throws us ass hoses to a commercial break nicely done <laughs> thank you oh there's a compliment for a change yeah G'day listeners, Aaron here. While you're topping up your coffees, did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time? Go to www.thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of The Toniston Tales, a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time and the roller coaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of Thrash and Treasure, you'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. After barely three hours of light sleep, Toniston Turnbull slowly opens his eyes, his body feeling heavier than it ever has before. Not from extra weight, from tiredness and stress. Polly sighs in the shadows behind him, the flame of the nearest barbed wire tiki torch tower having died down, but not out, while Toniston napped. Are you awake? Toniston whispers. Oh, how can I sleep in this place? Polly moans, turning onto her side and facing Toniston, who stays on his back, imagining obscure animal-esque shapes in the rusted tin roof above them, shadows faintly formed by the nearest dying torches. We need to work out a way to get out of here, Toniston states the obvious. He whispers, despite the fact the nearest shacks to their own are several metres away, and the occupants presumably asleep as most prisoners seem to be. How? There's no fence to squeeze through, or even climb, Polly replies, sitting up in bed and then stretching out her sore arms. The hairs stand on end from the slight chill in the air. I don't know, but I think the whole fighting thing is a distraction. You mean to distract the other prisoners when new ones arrive? No, I, I think that was just bad timing. Didn't you notice? Toniston goes on to explain his theory. That fight happened. Everybody gathered around. I didn't see one person who wasn't watching. And then when I vomited, the only gate in this place closed shut. What are you trying to say? I think something happened when everyone's back was turned. Like what? Whispers Polly, her voice breaking up in fear. I don't know. That's what we've got to find out. Toniston's brain starts working overtime, but it's strange that nobody seems to want to leave. They seem almost happy. Definitely content. So, when's the next one of those stupid beatdowns? Toniston can't help but think Polly looks tough, almost evil in the shadows as she asks, I don't know, Toniston begins, but both teenagers are distracted by a crumbling noise in the distance. 
Hopping out of bed, Toniston joins Polly on her own, equally uncomfortable one. Spotting a large, white package hovering close to the cave ceiling, behind it a shadowy figure. The package is lowered down, causing the teenagers themselves to lower as well, hoping not to be spotted by whom, or what, may be operating this obscure crane. Over a long, slow descent, the package is dropped to the ground. Polly keeps her eyes on it, but Toniston looks up immediately, spotting a large black shadow scurry away to God only knows where. Come, he whispers, as he quietly hops off her bed, slipping into his docks with bare feet. Polly follows his lead. Careful to keep watch on all directions, the teenagers swiftly sneak over to the white package, their hearts beating an almost tribal jam in perfect harmony, and stopping in their tracks as the sudden realisation of what lies before them sinks in. A woman, seemingly in her early twenties, wrapped up in bandages from the neck down. No, not bandages. Is that spiderweb? Polly asks, completely mortified at the prospect. Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo! Anyways, we're back with Fresh and Treasure. I'm Aaron. That's Evan, and we are joined by British stand-up comedian Tiernan Duyab. The Khweeb. Feel like there should be a like a hoiking a, a loogie in there, like the Khweeb. Yeah, it's got a real like to it. Yeah, like Welsh yeah, yeah. or something. Scottish, bit of Scottish in there. Yeah, what? What? Where's mm. it from? Do yeah. Uh, my granddad was French, but I think yeah, that's what my cousin reckoned. His parents were Algerian, so that's uh. But the Tiernan's uh, Celtic. <laughs> that's a, a Welsh Irish. Jam right there. Mm. Yeah, we all we all got Welsh names, yeah. For no reason, really. <laughs> yeah, well that's it. Mine, mine's for no reason. Mine, my parents are called Liz and Brian. I think they were just hippies and they were like wanted me to be called something weird. So, you know. Yeah. My brother's called Corin. He got really up he couldn't stand it. So uh... <laughs> uh, that's cool. I, no, Corin's a great name. I think it's cool. Yeah. yeah. He had he had issues with it, but uh, he's fine. Fine now. <laughs> I got Aaron because my dad had already had four other children by then and I was my mum's third and my dad was in his 40s. My mum was 36. They opened the baby name book. They saw double A, R-O-N. Fuck it. We'll just go with that one. And I've been stuck with it ever since. They went, that's the oldest one. That'll do. No, they said that's the first one. That's what they said. <laughs> they didn't bother looking any further than the top of the list. Well, if we lose him, he'll be easy to find. But it must have meant you always like first, first at registers. Whenever they like called, he's in the class and all that. He must have always been like, get it over with. No, that's got to be pretty good. No, because he's a W last name. W last oh, name. So I was always down the yeah. fucking bottom, wasn't I? So what was the point of that? Yeah, I was always at the end too. Same. Yeah. Williams. Yeah. Yeah. I know, right? Uh, but anyways, <laughs> do you do any? Celebrity impersonations. You did it on a previous pod. I can I can do a Kermit the Frog, but you, I, I think you've done it already. So um, yeah, go do you it. You want me to do it as well? Um, okay, it's Kermit the Frog here. It's not easy being green. Trying to make it through the day when you're the color of the leaves. Oh, how I think it would be nicer being blue or red or even gold or something more colorful like that. That is so much better. There's the Kermit. Ah. Well, yeah. yes, that's a great Thanks. Kermit. Thanks. Thank you very much. I like doing Drew Barrymore. Oh, go on. Oh, no, I'd, I'd, I'd have to practice it. Because she has this <laughs> way of like, um, oh, how did she? She's very precious with the way she talks. And she's, she approaches things like, oh, my God, you guys, you just, you can't believe it. I'm Drew Barrymore. 
So I, I'll just sometimes just talk like that for no reason. Or, as we know, Carol Channing, corn. I don't remember having corn. <laughs> That's very good. Thank you very much. Obviously, you do your comedy club for kids. So what has been the best heckling that you've gotten from a kid? Oh, that's um, that's really easy. But I, I, uh, the the there was one. So it's a show at the Edinburgh Fringe. It was a full theatre, um, and I used to do a stupid thing where I'd get the kids. I'd basically ask the kids like if if they knew any rude words and thinking that they'd say like poo or we or something. Well, no, I don't think. But here's the thing, right? There was a kid in the front row once, and he was like six. He was really small. And my whole joke was that he'd say people we and my and I'd go to him, oh I can't believe you said that oh how awful and I'd sort of make a big deal of it. Yeah. But I said to him, got any rude words whispering in my ear? And he just looked me dead in the eyes and really loudly said, "Why are you doing this?" And it just it just made me look like the biggest <laughs> stupid asshole of my like the whole audience absolutely pissed themselves laughing. Now, um, hang on, you asked him to say something rude, and he did. He yeah, was very he did, impolite yeah. to you. So be careful what you wish for with children. That is true. He's, I was going to say that my favourite. I've I've always got a quote. There's a, there's another comedian called uh, Matt Kershin who's who's brilliant. But he once got heckled by a kid at one of our shows. Why is that your face? <laughs> and um, that's that's genuinely my favourite ever. Like that's amazing. <laughs> I, I was watching clips of you and you were you were doing you were drawing like doing a drawing of of a child and going that's you you know it's a really quite a, you know childish drawing was that on the slammer yeah it was oh, yeah not sure. it, was, was. it was a fair while ago yeah. but then you just like draw a mustache on him and go that's your dad and I'm sitting here thinking that could backfire yeah a little bit yeah not everyone there has a dad <laughs> It's, it's a bit of a flip of a coin. I, I should say, I, I don't do that bit anymore because you, I realised the very same thing. <laughs> yeah. Before, luckily before, yeah. That's you in 20 years. <laughs> yeah, that's what she had done. That's you from the future. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what's been the worst heckling from an adult? Oh, damn. I don't know if I can say it on this can I? Of course you can. You'll have to you have to bleep out the C words. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. It was from one of my first ever gigs at uh, the, the comedy store in London, which is quite a famous venue. It was my first ever five minute spot there. And I used to do a stupid thing. When I, I don't know, I didn't have enough jokes, right? And I had this little talking Mr. T key ring and I'd press it and I'd say like, uh, heckle me and, and I'll deal with it, but Mr. T would deal with it. So someone would heckle me and I'd heckle back and then I'd get Mr. T be like, what's Mr. T say? Oh, shut up for a bit. Oh, hilarious. It was really weak, weak material. Anyway, I did this a couple <laughs> of times people said like your shit or whatever and I dealt with it and then the third one I was like one more heckle and this woman stood up in the front row comedy store pack night what 450 people I'm nervous my first gig this woman stood up and just said suck the blood from my bleeding you motherfucker oh and yeah and I just went pale I'd, I'd been gigging all of like eight nine months <laughs> and I, had, I had no idea and I was like I don't even think Mr. T wants to deal with that I just sort of that's what I said <laughs> pulled it away and the audience just completely lost it yeah. and I was uh, I just I didn't know but she said it was such venom she like looked dead in my eyes and was like that's for you it was brutal when the audience gets behind a heckler you know it's it's time to leave yeah yeah so, <laughs> I did ask for the worst heckling and that to me sounds like it would have been the best but anyways <laughs> no. yeah, it depends which point of view I from, from my point the worst from her is definitely pretty yeah. expert yeah for years later, she's going, you remember that time I made that comedian cry? Yeah, it was good. <laughs> there was a few sort of quite well-known comics in the audience that night and they they ran backstage to absolutely laugh in my face and go, that was amazing. <laughs> it was quite good. It was a good like initiation into yeah. it all. 
So yeah. <laughs> do you give back when the you get hecklers, or do you have sort of ammunition to pull? No, out? I do. Yeah, it doesn't happen anywhere near as often as people think it does. And a lot yeah. of the time, it's just people who are so drunk you can't understand what they're saying. So you, you can really easily win them over. Like it's very rare that it's a good heckle that's been thought through and like. You know, if it's a genuinely good one, sometimes I'll just give in and go, fair play, that's brilliant. <laughs> like, you just have to kind of acknowledge it when it's really good. But yeah. it doesn't happen. A lot of people are too afraid of doing it. A lot of people are much better at being in an audience uh, than you'd think. So it's all right. But, like, especially after what happened recently with uh, Chris Rock, anyways. Oh, yeah. That was ridiculous. Yeah. As a, as a comedian, are you worried? Yeah, I am. I've, I've had someone climb on stage and swing at me before. Oh, and, really? Uh, and I... Yeah, well, he heckled me and I dealt with it and he was on his stag do and he thought that I'd belittled him by dealing, by making him look like an idiot. So he, this giant, big Scottish guy, he's like six foot something and he got on stage and started swinging at my face and I, I had to sort of dodge him and hold the microphone stand to ward him away and his the venue couldn't be bothered to pay for security. So um, there wasn't any. So his mates had to pull him off stage and then um, I was hosting the show. It was right at the beginning of the show, the first five minutes and then uh, he had to sit there until the police could arrive so he sat there for the whole first act the whole first act was in silence because yeah. everyone in the audience was too freaked out and the whole first act did 20 minutes in silence then I had to take the first act off and then do the interval and then came back on the guy was still there <laughs> and oh, then geez. the police arrived and I was hosting again it was really it was horrible wow. really horrible experience but I've had that I've, I know quite a lot of acts uh, have had all sorts of stuff like that so it is that thing of even if the joke wasn't good don't don't <laughs> get on the stage and hit someone that is that's our space like, yeah. piss off <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just and but you know the the thing is that these people who would hit somebody over a joke would say really horrible things about other people. Yeah. And they would expect to get away with that because they're them and I, I'm allowed to say what I want, but no one's allowed to say that about me. How do you disrespect? I fucking hate arrogant people, I really do, but anyways. Uh, do you write any other genres? I'm currently writing for a children's animation series uh, in in the UK. Yeah. Um, for a preschool animation series, and I'm trying to get into basically the, the uh, I don't if you know, but in in Britain, um, they pretended the pandemic was over long before it was, and it kind of yeah. killed off all the comedy for a good two years. So yeah. I I turned my hand to a lot more script writing now. So I'm trying to um writing some stuff for animation, which is cool, and, and trying to get into other things that mean I don't have to leave my house or my pajamas. What non comedy or non-entertainment things inspire you oh non-comedy and non-entertainment things um and there's loads of non-comedy stuff that i love i don't really watch much comedy because i feel like i've just seen enough of it in my life so yeah it's like gynecologists yeah <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly uh, i was gonna go with baristas but i think you chose a better uh yeah yeah but it's, it's exactly that so i i like loads of sci-fi and um and just dark i like dark miserable stuff <laughs> so i watch my time up it's brilliant um I'm, i love loads of music uh except metal and musicals you pick like the two genres that i, <laughs> I don't listen to but i listen to loads of other music um and i generally just eat a lot of hot sauce all the time which i think inspires me because i'm just while my mouth's on fire i'm trying to think of other stuff to distract me from it <laughs> i think it helps so yeah tons of stuff 
Do you know what inspires me? What? Going to sleep. How does that inspire you? Well, it's always that thing of I have to do something, but then you find something else to do that distracts you from it. So I know I have to sleep. I'm really, really tired. So I lie down, I start working, and 45 minutes later, I've written someone's introduction or I've written a review or I've written 10 pages of a novel or something like that. Because I'm meant to be sleeping. That's when I'm most creative, isn't it? So I typically will fall asleep, like even with the light on, shining down on me bright as anything i will roll over i don't even bother doing anything i just roll over and go to sleep and then i'll wake up and read what i wrote the next day so yeah that's what inspires me that's really useful see i just i just sort of aim for sleep i don't get inspired but i just need it yeah. and i aim for it and i, I get excited about the possibility of it oh, but me that too. is i think my oh, daughter's yeah. four and i just don't get enough of it in my life so yeah it's like i, I tweeted last night Rocky Horror taught me don't dream it, be it, and I dream of napping. So that's handy. <laughs> Living the dream. That's it. Uh, but anyways, now I'm I'm asking this as someone we've known each other for what, 10, 11, 12 years now, something like that. How important is diplomacy amongst friends, Tiernan? So if I said a bad joke or put out a bad novel are you going to tell me that it was shitty or are you going to pat me on the head and say oh you wrote a novel aaron good on you good good for trying where do you get your ideas <laughs> i think it depends on it depends on how much it reads how well i know them and also yeah. if i've actually read it or not because if yeah. I haven't, I'll definitely be nice about it. Yep. Uh, whereas if I have read it, I'll probably be more constructive. Yeah. Uh, but like friend, friends whose stuff I definitely haven't read or watched could easily tell by how nice I am about it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's very important is what you're saying? Yeah, I, th yeah. Well, I think so. I don't know. It depends on the person, doesn't it? I've got, I've got a couple of mates that I don't need it whatsoever with, I think. Yeah. I'm, I try and be diplomatic anyway. It's people put a lot of effort into stuff and, and everyone's taste is different as well. You think you read it or, Ooh, or you watch yeah. it or whatever and you might not. Hey, you know this. This is what your whole podcast is about. You've got all these things you love and then you present it to each other and you might not like it. So it's, uh, yeah, you know, try, try and be constructive. That's, that's it. Try exactly. to be constructive. Um, but even then, I can tell you this is, I'm sure you're the same, that when someone tries to give you a constructive critique, but they completely missed the point of what it was. Like they, they missed the yeah. meaning behind it. And you try to tell them, no, 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 you've completely missed the point. But then they take it personally. Like, well, I'm not going to give you any advice. And if you're not going to take it now, firstly, advice and critique are not the same thing. And secondly, you can't give me advice if you completely missed the fucking moral of the story. You've gone on your own tangent, your own interpretation. So it, it's, it is a double-edged sword for one thing. Um, but I think artists, I've said it before, none of us are going to be 100% good every single time. And if you're expecting yourself to be, then go, I would say, go become a baker, but that would burn Evan or <laughs> something that it, things are exactly the same every time because it's not in this industry. Every idea will be different. There's a Will Smith moment coming. There's a <laughs> there is. <laughs> yeah. Have you heard um, Willow Smith's new song? I smack your face back and forth. I smack your face back and forth. Anyways, I'm moving on. Um, so that's my point is that we, 
I think every artist needs to get over themselves a little bit in, in that sense. Like I understand when you put in so much work into something, I don't need to plug my novels again. They are 250,000 words. It took me 14 years. And I have had friends turn to me and say, I was, and they're still on my Christmas card list because I'm not That's offended nice. by that. The fact that they read it is fucking amazing because it's more than what my own dad has done. And my mum's response was, where do you get your ideas from? And my response to that is, you're asking me how a brain works. <laughs> I put all this mythology and language and all at 250 characters or something like that over the three novels. There's, there's over a thousand pages and you're asking me how a brain works and I have to not be offended by that even though it is my mum of all people <laughs> I know she's reading it as my mum like she's really like my son wrote this so she's more mortified yeah. if anything than the reading as an audience member so is this you being diplomatic is it <laughs> it's always such a weird thing though that whole like where'd you get your ideas from it's like well everything around you like mm. Mm. If you don't look at things and get ideas, like if, if, if I said, oh, I get my ideas from this other book I've stolen it from, like, you know, what, you, what do they expect? It's always like all your input, everything. Like, it's such a weird, nothingy question. Like, where do you get your thoughts from? Where do you get, mm. you know? Or um, what non-comedy, non-entertainment things inspire you as someone just well, exactly. asked you, Tiernan? And now well, there you go. Oh, exactly no, that. Yeah. No, I, I, it was goodness gracious me it's just a brain that's how it works anyway, it's, a la it's a lack of knowing how to kind of say anything about it though isn't it there's a sort of it's tricky yeah. it's tricky yeah at the end of the day it's not about what you say it is how you say it yeah it's it's, it's also it's part of the job I, I had a script recently that i had two different bits of feedback from two different studios one said it's got too much dialogue in it. And the other one said, it's got not enough dialogue in it. And that was their <laughs> criticisms. And so I came away going, I'll leave it as it is then. <laughs> yeah. It's obviously got the right amount of dialogue. That's it. <laughs> yeah. It's like um, a, a friend who listens to this show, Rich, a shout out to him. He said to me um, about certain certain quotes or certain bits of dialogue, you can do much better than that. And that was such a compliment because he's not saying, well, he is saying that that's bad, right? That that's <laughs> mediocre dialogue, but he's actually saying that I'm able to do much better than that. Like he actually said, yeah. my skills are better than that. So when someone says to you, you can do better, that is not tearing you down. That is to boost you up. That is to say that you've got it in your skill sets. It just didn't show up today. You're only as good as your last performance, as, as, um, as we, we learned with my review, <laughs> that disaster today. Uh, but anyways, we'll move on. Do you ever get writer's block with comedy? All the time, yeah, all the time. But I just give up. I just give up on it now. I just sort of go, oh, it will come to me later. I used to, I used to stress and go, oh, I need to write stuff. And now I'm like... I'll do something else and then it will come to you later when you're doing something completely pointless. Yeah. Yeah. And I never get it on stage. Though. Like, it's weird if something happens on stage, you get like, you've got super brain on stage. And so you can deal with anything. It's weird. It's always off stage. Yeah. Lastly, what has been the strangest, most obscure comedy gig location? So, have you ever done a gig in like a toilet block or I don't know? Oh, wow. Uh, a kitchen in Pakistan. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, I haven't. I sort of feel like I've, I've missed out now. You have. No. Mm -hmm. uh, oh wow, you've really caught me. I've done some. 
I've done, I mean, I've done lots of sort of, no, lots of weird little bubs and venues in various countries that I don't think I'd have done gigs. So in sort of deep, like the deep forests of Estonia, I did this very small gig to a bunch of people there, which was quite nuts. Oh, actually, I'll tell you what, this isn't, this isn't an odd venue really as such. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure I've done some weird, I've done like a shed, which was quite strange. But I did this gig once in, um, in Iceland, right, in this town. So it was in a town hall, so it's not that weird. But it was like right on the kind of west coast of Iceland. And um, and we we got there. It wasn't very busy, and I kind of was a bit. I was a bit of a dick, and I kind of said to the promoter, oh, "It's not very busy. This doesn't look like a very good gig." And he was like, "What do you mean? Half the town have come to see you." <laughs> and that was like, there's so few people there that half of them had come, and it was it was just only about like forty something people. Yeah. And it was like the most amazing gig because these people had never seen comedy before in their lives. Yeah. So it was properly magical, and there was me being a dick, and there's not many people here. No, this. Half of the town. It was incredible. And then, and then, as we left, um, we we on the drive home, the Northern Lights happened above us. So we just pulled over and oh, watched wow. it. It was like properly like magical. But that was like amazing because it was just this tiny, tiny little town, like little village <laughs> in Iceland, in the middle of nowhere that I don't think I'd ever have been to if it wasn't for comedy. So that's pretty cool. And, and no one thought to bring a small pony. No, which is so rude, isn't it? So rude. You're right. Yeah, well, while you're in Iceland, yeah. They should have just let me have one of them, take it home on the plane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tiernan, out of all our past guests, you have indeed been the most recent. So thank you very much <laughs> for you. joining thank us. Thank you very much. That's great. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's been a joy. Uh, where can people find you on the social medias? Uh, spell my name, which is the challenge. And if you can master that <laughs> challenge, you'll find me everywhere uh, on Twitter. At tinandiab or tinandiab.co.uk. Yep, and you don't be a dick and pronounce every vowel. I could get away with that because, you know, and everyone knows that I'm horrible. So anyways, uh, anything to plug? Have you got any comedy gigs coming up? Obviously, your podcasts. Well, my podcast is all British politics. No one's going to care about that. It's partly political broadcast if you really want to see how crap everything is here. Um, And then I do a kids podcast called Radio Nonsense, which is really joyful. And and we answer children's questions, uh, myself and other comedians, um, in the most unhelpful, stupid way. So that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. That's right. People can find you on Par Pal Bro and people can hit me up on paypal bro anyways (laughs) Anyways, two guys at home you take care and we shall see you next time hooroo